Are we going to hear talk about that? My guess is only in a very general sense. Look, every year we hear some sort of vague or empty promises, and this year will certainly be the same. I don't put much faith into claims like we're going to drive credit access to SMEs. Um, You know, the system simply isn't set up to do this efficiently. Capital markets will be more open to internationalized, sure, for inflows. But when we get to the outflows, then, you know, tell me if that'll be interesting. Banks will be recapitalized as Beijing tackles problem debt. You know, this can't probably be done without something of a, of a downturn, which the government is unwilling to do right now. So we, we may hear some, uh, some generalizations, but I doubt that we'll really get into the specifics of it. Brock, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. That's Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look around Asian equities this morning. First of all, in Australia, the ASX 200 is up around about 1.5% now. That's following a rebound in US stock index futures here in Asian trading. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan up 2.25%. And futures markets indicating that Hang Seng is going to add about 1% at the open. A little bit of a rebound going on in gold, up about $6 now at $1,741 an ounce. Uh, Brent crude oil also up about one and three quarter percent here in trading in Asia at $65.50 a barrel. That's it from me. Stay tuned to Radio 3 for back chat uh, with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse in just one moment. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, warm with sunny periods during the day. Maximum temperature of about 25 degrees. And the outlook is for it to be warm during the day with sunny periods tomorrow. 20 degrees right now, 83% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. A constitutional law expert says the charges laid against 47 pan-democrats for holding a primary election brings Hong Kong into disrepute and doesn't benefit anyone. Professor Michael Davis, a US-based senior fellow at the University of Hong Kong, was commenting after the pro-democracy politicians and activists were charged with conspiracy to commit subversion yesterday. They were to appear at Kowloon Magistrates' Courts this morning. The charges that have been leveled against 47 people who were previously arrested for conducting a primary is an example which just brings huge disrepute on Hong Kong. And I can't see how it's in the interest of people on any side of the political spectrum for Hong Kong to be viewed as this hardline authoritarian regime. The government have said the pan-democrats were trying to win enough seats to paralyse the government. The former U.S. President Donald Trump says he has no plans to start a new party. Speaking at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Florida, Mr. Trump hinted at a presidential run in 2024. In his first speech since Joe Biden became president, Mr. Trump criticised the new administration. Joe Biden has had the most disastrous first month of any president in modern history. That's true. Already the Biden administration has proven that they are anti-jobs, anti-family, anti-borders, anti-energy, anti-women, and anti-science. In just one short month, we have gone from America first to America last. The South African president, Cyril Ramaphosa, has announced that restrictions to control the spread of coronavirus will be lowered. Based on an assessment of the current state of the pandemic in the country, Cabinet has decided earlier today to move the country 
from coronavirus alert level three to alert level one. He said all efforts should now go into growing the economy while keeping the virus under control. He said measures imposed during the holiday period had reduced infection levels from 90,000 new cases a week to 10,000. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today. Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. COVID matters today. The government says people will be able to start making appointments to receive the BioNTech vaccines by the middle of this week. Meanwhile, a spokesman said the booking system for the Sinovac uh, jabs would reopen in 25 minutes. Hong Kong reported 22 new cases yesterday, meanwhile, with 10 linked to a cluster at the Mr. Ming's Chinese Dining at K11 Museum Shopping Mall in Chim Sa Choi. Authorities say the cluster is likely to grow bigger because a super spreader was involved. So far, uh, authorities say 44 patients involved in the cluster and around 100 people have been quarantined for that. Well, how useful is, for example, the Leave Home Safe app proving to be to track the transmission? Why should we take the jabs? What do we know about the new variants. Let us know your thoughts and your questions and your comments on 233-88266 or you can email backchat at rthk.hk. You can go to our Facebook page which is Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. We want to hear from you, your thoughts and uh, your questions. Joining us now we have once again Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong and once again Dr Sarah Borine, who's a Canadian physician who trained at the London School of Hygiene and others will be joining us later in the programme uh, as well. Uh, maybe Professor Cowling, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi, thanks for for joining us once again. So we're talking about a super spreader here. What does that what does that mean, a super spreader? What is that? So remember the reproductive rate for COVID nineteen is about two or three. If we're not having any control measures, that means one person spreads on average to two or three others. So anytime you get one case who spreads to a lot more than two or three is called a super spreader. I, I think we classify it as maybe more than eight or ten secondary cases. It's already a super spreader, and we've seen some in the past year that have gone up to 50-plus uh, secondary cases. And those are the kind of uh, occurrences, events, that we really want to try hard to stop because we're doing so well with COVID. But just whenever you remember the dance, the, the ballroom dancing cluster, months and months ago there were other large clusters as well. If we can stop those we can do a lot of good to stopping COVID from spreading. Uh, good morning, uh, uh, Professor Cowling. Um, the, we now have three uh, vaccines approved by the FDA in the US. There's Pfizer, Moderna and, and Johnson & Johnson. Um, I think, have they all been peer-reviewed? Uh, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine yet but but in the u.s and elsewhere in the world peer review is not essential for approval what's essential is an enormous amount of documentation being submitted to regulatory authorities so it most likely hundreds and hundreds of pages and then out of that will come a, a six or seven page peer-reviewed publication but the fda and other regulatory bodies can approve based on the hundreds of pages of documentation, which is more comprehensive than what you get in a peer-reviewed paper. So I think the debate here about having peer-reviewed data, data on some vaccines is, is not the key point. The key point is that we want to be confident about the, the information that's presented. 
Right. Because I, I was uh, reading much to my surprise that um, the Sputnik 5 one has been peer-reviewed and has appeared in Lancet. Yeah, that's right. The Sputnik vaccine is actually really good. The, the Russians took a chance on that vaccine. They started using it in their general population months ago before they'd really finished the phase three trials, before they'd absolutely confirmed that it was effective. Uh, my suspicion is they were confident it was effective, and at the same time they didn't imagine having any better options in the, the near-term future, and they were, were having a lot of COVID cases, so most likely it's better than, than nothing to, to, to have a go with it. And it turns out that the Sputnik V vaccine is actually really good. It's probably similar or even better than the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, certainly better than the, the mainland Chinese vaccines that we've heard about so far. So it's really good for the Russians, and well done. And it's one of those derived from uh, dead virus? It's derived from common cold viruses, adenoviruses, which are then modified to insert a small part of COVID-19 so that when you, you inject people with this um, modified virus, your body has an immune reaction to the COVID virus more so than to the common cold virus that's transporting it. It's a clever approach. The AstraZeneca one is similar. All right. So I'm, I'm trying. We've got at the moment Sinovac when the booking starts again at, what, at 9 o'clock. Um, and we've also going to shortly start the, is it the Pfizer-BioNTech one? When are we going to get another one? Maybe Moderna AstraZeneca? Yeah. Well, I think the AstraZeneca one we, we've ordered and we're expecting to get it sometime in the summer, but not sure exactly when. Um, and we've, got, we, we've ordered enough Sinovac and enough BioNTech to actually cover the whole population. So by the time the AstraZeneca arrives, uh, not sure there'll be that many people still waiting to be vaccinated. Maybe. It depends on the timeline of getting these different vaccines into Hong Kong. Um, I think it's good news that we've got these three. And I, I think the government's even considering about a fourth. I, I don't know which one, but I heard they might be looking for a fourth still. Yeah, Hugh mentioned Moderna. Yeah, if you're, if you're want to make a decision, you know, if you're making a comparison between Sinovac, uh, Sinovac and BioNTech, am I right in thinking that the BioNTech has about 90% efficacy and the Sinovac has about 62%. But it, it, it depends that the outcomes that you're thinking about. So at an individual level, both vaccines are actually very good. Uh, from the data we've seen um, in adults and for the BioNTech vaccine in elderly, both these vaccines are very effective in pro protecting against severe COVID. For the Sinovac, you might still get mild COVID, but you have a very, very low chance to get a more severe form of the disease. So that's excellent for the individual level. At the population level, though, uh, it is actually better for Hong Kong if a larger fraction of people get the BioNTech vaccine or maybe a smaller fraction get Sinovac. Because if uh, the Sinovac vaccine is not so good at preventing mild infections, and that's a problem for people in the community who haven't been vaccinated yet or who maybe can't be vaccinated, like pregnant women, because if... It, the Sinovac vaccine may not be so good at stopping mild infections and stopping transmission in the long term as the BioNTech vaccine. But at an indiv individual level, if you get a chance to get a vaccine, then, then whichever vaccine, I think it will be good. Do you think but but which, is be oh. which is better? Uh, so it, it depends what you're talking about. From an individual level, actually, I think both are, are comparably effective unless you're in a situation where you are a carer for a person who can't be vaccinated, like a pregnant woman or, or a very old, frail person. In those cases... The, the BioNTech should be a better choice because you'll be pre 
prevented from even getting infected, most likely, and then you wouldn't be able to pass on infection. Whereas with the sign of that, you might still get a mild infection. You yourself will be safe from severe COVID, but the people around you, you might be able to, to, to transmit to them, which would be unfortunate. Um, but uh, in most cases, it, it's not, there's not a lot of differences in terms of preventing against the more severe form of COVID, which is what we're most concerned about. Uh, why is uh, BioNTech approved by the WHO and Sinovac isn't? And you know, I think WHO are reviewing the Sinovac data, and I, mm-hmm. I expect they will approve at some point. I'm not sure whether they'll approve it for the elderly or not. In mainland China, actually, Sinovac is not recommended for elderly, but here in Hong Kong, we we have recommended it for the elderly. Uh, and in other countries, I don't think the other countries that are using Sinovac, I don't think are using it in their elderly. Uh, so WHO may come out with a recommendation to use Sinovac, uh, at least in adults. Maybe, maybe not in elderly. Um, WHO. So, sorry, I didn't. I, I wasn't aware of that. So, the FDA. WHO is approving for. Is giving advice to to all kinds of countries around the world. Yeah, and when you talk about elderly, are you talking about over sixty, over eighty? Yeah, over to, sixty. So over in si- the Sinovac phase three trials, there were only a few thousand people over sixty. So it wasn't a large enough sample size to confirm that the Sinovac vaccine worked in the elderly, although. It's presumed that it does, but uh, that there wasn't enough uh, numbers. Whereas with some of the other vaccines like BioNTech, they have had a lot of numbers of, of, of participants in, in el- among the elderly, among 60 plus. Okay, uh, and uh, you sorry, so in mainland China, the the Sinovac is not recommended for over 60s. Yeah, that's right. At the moment, they, they're using a lot of Sinovac in mainland China, but it's going to people aged 18 to 59. What are they doing for the older one? Right now, my understanding is they're not yet vaccinating the elderly. Um, Possibly they're they're waiting for some other vaccines to come online in the mainland, which they they think might be more suitable for the elderly, or maybe they're just going to vaccinate elderly a little bit later with Sinovac. I'm not sure. I I don't think they've they've really talked about their long-term vaccine strategy. But right now, the Sinovac that they have, they're using in people aged 18 to 59. I mean, that's a bit worrying, isn't it? In China, they don't. In mainland, they don't use well, it. Well, we, we so. don't know the reason why. So, so it may be that they've got another vaccine coming that's more effective that they want to use in the elderly. Or maybe they're just, just waiting because they think that the, the, the working age adults are, are the more critical to protect right now. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but yeah. the, the practice in, in the UK and other places is to get the elderly vaccinated first because they're yeah, the most vulnerable. They've got a lot of cases in the community, a lot of hospitalizations, and, and still a lot of deaths every day. So in an emergency, you want to vaccinate the highest risk first. But if you're right. in a different situation where you're at close to zero cases and you really want to keep cases at a low number, maybe if you can prevent transmission in the younger adults who are more likely to get infected and to spread it, maybe that's still an okay strategy for now. But in the long term, for sure mainland China and everywhere else in the world would want to, to vaccinate their elderly. If we get on to travel bubbles again, and they, that seems to be reviving, um, or passports, is it going to make a difference to the different governments which vaccination you've had? That's a good question. And I, I, it would also be important how you verify that information. So if you imagine travellers coming into Hong Kong who might be perhaps Uh, able to have a shorter quarantine instead of 21 days, maybe 14 or 7, if they've been vaccinated. So if the vaccine's been administered in Hong Kong by the Hong Kong government, then there'll be a registry or a portal where where the authorities can check up to see 
this person with this ID number did get, did get vaccinated on this day at this clinic. But if you think about people coming from the US or other parts of the world, they, they've been vaccinated, but there's no comparable registry. So how can you be sure that the document they're holding, which says they got vaccinated, is an authentic document? It's, it's going to be a, a challenge. And once you have that, uh, that kind of passport system, uh, I think what we'll see is a lot of forgeries. And then that defeats the objective of the, of the whole idea, I fear. Okay, well, also with us is a doctor, medical doctor, uh, Sarah Boyne, a Canadian uh, physician who's trained at the London School of Hygiene. Dr. Boyne, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for for joining us once again. Okay, some specific kind of questions we've got uh, in emails. Our address back, chanted.rthk.hk. Anna says, uh, talking to several UK friends, frontline healthcare workers, uh, so they've had both Pfizer jabs already. They report feeling pretty bad after the second jab with varying mild to severe flu symptoms. Why is this? That's from uh, Anna. Do you know why that might be, Dr. Bullwine? Uh, well, the vaccine is stimulating your immune response and the symptoms that you have are, are, are they're demonstrating that your immune, res- your immune system is uh, responding appropriately to the vaccine. Many vaccines have similar side effects and it's temporary, and as long as you know that it's temporary and not dangerous, it's really nothing to worry about. Okay. Um, uh, Les says, uh, please ask your guests first. I'm keen to have my parents vaccinated. One of them is over 80, has a pacemaker fitted, and is afraid will be refused the jab on the spot. I looked up various sources, and older people who are vulnerable should, in fact, be vaccinated as soon as possible. Is this the case? Second, does it matter in my parents' case which technology, mRNA <clears throat> versus traditional? Uh, third, if Sinovac website proves impossible to enter, how do we know if the biotech we received a few days ago is in fact made in Germany and up to standards in terms of storage? Uh, because if it's not Pfizer, it's Fosun. Thank you again for giving my parents some uh, uh, assurance. Um, first question there about, you know, uh, should uh, older people uh, be vaccinated as soon as possible and would a, having a pacemaker uh, alter the uh, equation? Uh, Older people should absolutely be vaccinated as soon as possible. Um, I have parents in their mid to late 90s, and they've both received their uh, first dose of Pfizer in Canada uh, with with no problem. So um, I absolutely think they should be getting vaccines as soon as possible. And pacemakers are not a contraindication to having the vaccine. If anything, having a heart problem is an indication that you might be at higher risk from COVID and should be vaccinated. Uh, in terms of the question about Fosun and BioNTech, my understanding is that the vaccine that we are receiving is only being distributed by Fosun, but it is still being manufactured in Europe. It's being manufactured uh, by Pfizer-BioNTech. Okay. And, and does it matter for an older person which technology is used, the mRNA, uh, mRNA or the traditional approach? Well, as, prof- as Professor Cowley mentioned, there is some concern that some of the vaccines may not be as effective in older people. And, of course, we want them to be protected. So the vaccines that have shown, been shown to be protective in the elderly, particularly mRNA vaccines, may be preferable for them. But in the end, they do need to be protected in some ways. So whatever vaccine is available, they're all safe and they're all effective and they've all been shown to prevent critical illness and death. So if they can if they can get any vaccine, they should get it. 
there may be some preference for the yeah, MRD. Or, hang on, some, some more, yeah, some uh, more, some more in the listeners. Yeah. Uh, uh, Doug says, uh, there's been much reporting that the efficacy of the Sinovac vaccine is just above 50%. Many of us have an annual flu vaccination, but what is the efficacy of these flu vaccinations? Is COVID any more lethal than flu? Uh, Dr. Borwine, do you want to? Uh, yeah, COVID is much more lethal than the flu. Maybe not in every age group, but overall, COVID is much more lethal than the flu, at least five times more lethal. And so this perception that it's only a flu is something that's actually really harmful. We can see we've already had, with even with taking great efforts, uh, lockdowns and so on, all around the world, we've had 2.5 million deaths. So the flu, on average, kills about a half a million people a year without us taking any measures to try and slow it down. So you can see that we're, we're having great difficulty preventing deaths from this disease, and it's much worse than the flu. Right. And, and how does the efficacy of the annual flu vaccination compare with the efficacy of the Sinovac, of the, uh, well, uh, the uh, COVID vaccines? Well, yeah, it does depend on which vaccine you're talking about. I have to say that the advent of some of these vaccines is really miraculous. It's one of the, it's going to be one of the big silver linings of this pandemic that we have developed such effective vaccines and that the technologies developed may be useful for other things too. Right. So uh, flu vaccine, it varies from year to year. Uh, it can be as low as 30% and as high as 70% effective. It really varies. Um, these vaccines are... Um, on average more effective, some of them much more effective than flu vaccine. And uh, there's a, there's a, you get the vaccine for two reasons. One is to protect yourself, but one is to try and create herd immunity to get more of the population immune so you suppress the level of transmission. And they all are going to work for that. Okay. Uh, uh, an email, this is for Ben Cowling. Uh, Alonzo says, uh, since Sinovac hasn't been recommended for the elderly in China, what would you recommend for my 80-year-old grandmother in Hong Kong? It sounds like she should certainly opt for Pfizer. Is that correct? Yeah, the BioNTech vaccine would, would be a better choice for, for older and more frail people as well. And also note that for Sinovac, uh, the, the product insert and the recommendations from the CHP are that more frail people with underlying medical conditions m maybe shouldn't get it, although it's, it's, there's no as far as I understand, no very clear list of the exact conditions which, which do or do not uh, 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 allow people to receive it. In general, I think older and more frail people should get the BioNTech vaccine. Okay, now, now that millions have been vaccinated, do we have any picture yet of how long the protection lasts? No, that, that's a very good question. Uh, the, the early effectiveness is extremely high. So for BioNTech vaccine, it's 95% plus in the maybe the first few months after vaccination but in the longer term it's really too early to say because we've only been using these vaccines for a few months so uh, based on how quickly immunity tends to wane most likely we would need booster jabs at some point but it might not be for three years or four years or five years uh, at least for the biontech vaccine uh, for the sign of that because the starting point is a bit lower maybe uh, a booster jab would be needed earlier. And if we were getting AstraZeneca later this year, that might be a good use for the AstraZeneca vaccine, for example. Um, but, but right now, we don't know the long, long-term uh, protection. All right, some more emails. Uh, Mike has an observation. He says, misconception, once you receive a vaccine, you're not going to get the virus. It's given to reduce the serious effects of the COVID-19. 
uh, not as... Uh, for, for BioNTech, actually, the, the, the vaccine really does protect against infection as well. People who get BioNTech don't even get mild COVID. But for the Sinovac, it seems like it's really very, very effective against more severe disease, but maybe not so effective against just a mild infection. Uh, and that's going to be a problem maybe within the next few months if we have a fifth wave. I hope we don't. But if we do, I suspect we might find people who've received Sinovac are still getting infection, getting PCR confirmed, getting isolated in hospital and their close contacts, getting uh, quarantined. If you're fir- uh, because oh, it's, it's not so effective against mild symptoms. Right. If your first one was one brand, uh, for want of a better term, is, is it a good idea to have the second one uh, of a different brand? I'm talking it's about... Not, it's not recommended right now. Everyone right. who's getting a vaccine is recommended to get two of the same. Of the same one. Two doses of the same thing. Right. But ha- having said that, the Sputnik V vaccine is actually two different, uh, slightly different vaccines, one after the other. And there are trials underway to use AstraZeneca for the second dose of people who receive other vaccines first. So in the future, that advice may change. But right now, the advice is two doses of the same vaccine. Sure. I mean, from what I've been hearing, what you've been saying, the the BioNTech sounds a, a, a better bet. Uh, in general, uh, the, I mean, they've bought equal amounts of of the BioNTech and the Sinovac, uh, but not enough for either one to vaccinate everybody in Hong Kong. What if they run out? Of, if everybody wants the BioNTech and they run out of it, then what's going to happen? Yeah, so we're, I think seven point five million doses of BioNTech, which is enough for three point seven five million people to receive it, and it, it would be great if we can use all of those doses. And I think in total, we'd need to vaccinate about 5 million people out of the 7.5 million here to have a, have a chance of herd immunity and have a chance of, of going back to normal. Uh, one of the problems is if we use a lot of Sinovac and not much BioNTech in the community, then herd immunity might be more difficult to reach, meaning that people who haven't been vaccinated would still be vulnerable and we, we might still be detecting a lot of cases and still have to have social distancing measures. Um, but I... I don't know if now it would be possible to order more BioNTech. And since all the sign of actually already been bought and it's now being distributed, I'm not sure how easy it would be for the government to pull back and say, right. let's not use as much of that. So the, the sign of act doesn't really stop the spread of, of, of the disease in the community, does so it? So sign of act doesn't stop the spread, but it does protect the people who receive it. So maybe if you were, if you were thinking about it in a, maybe in a selfish way, then if you get the sign of act, it's good for you. But for the community as a whole, uh, I think the optimal would be to have more people receiving BioNTech because that protects the people around you as well, the people who can't get vaccinated. Remember, pregnant women can't get vaccinated. Children at the moment can't get vaccinated. Very frail elderly. Maybe their immune system is not as good anyway. Um, People who have cancer, some of those may may not be able to be vaccinated. So I I really think herd immunity is, is the best direction for us to aim for so that even the people who are not vaccinated are still protected. All right. Um, Dan says, uh, Dear Backchat, please ask your guests why any quarantine is necessary for Hong Kongers who have been fully vaccinated here, travel for a few weeks and return to Hong Kong. That comes from Dan. So that both vaccines are highly effective. BioNTech, 95%. Sinovac, maybe 50% against mild illness. So if you imagine, if you go to the US now, you've received a Sinovac, and then you come back to Hong Kong, you've got a a lower chance of being infected, but not zero. Uh, If you've been exposed, then your risk is lower that you get infected, but it's not zero. You can still be carrying the virus. And so quarantine makes sense. But because your risk is lower, 
maybe the quarantine could be a little bit shorter. And for the BioNTech vaccine, you've, you've got a much, much lower risk of being infected, 95% lower. So, so I, I think a shorter quarantine would be particularly appropriate for people who've received the BioNTech vaccine. Um, but it, the risk is not zero. So you would imagine, so until there's herd immunity, you'd probably still right, have to have quarantine. if we can get herd immunity, then quarantine uh, becomes yeah. moot, because even if the virus comes into Hong Kong, it won't be able to spread. I think as data becomes available, some of those those things may become more clear. As this data on, on the BioNTech preventing transmission is relatively new, it's really exciting, but it's still relatively new. And I, I think those things haven't been worked out yet, but it may be coming. And some countries are starting to loosen restrictions for people who are fully vaccinated. Uh, okay, uh, Peter in an email says, uh, I'm 62, had a bad reaction to an MMR vaccination about three years ago. Which vaccine would you recommend when my ton comes round? It, it depends on what the reaction was. If it wasn't an anaphylactic reaction, then there's still no contraindication to receiving an mRNA vaccine. So the one issue with the mRNA vaccines has been that they have a slightly higher risk of severe allergic reactions in the order of five in a million, whereas for flu vaccine it's one to 1.3 in a million. So, and it seems like it's a reaction to the lipid coating of the uh, mRNA, so it's a specific allergy. Uh, but the recommendation is that anyone who's had an anaphylactic reaction to a vaccine before or an injectable uh, not receive that vaccine. So, but if it was so they should go for the Sinovac then? Yes, that's the other option. But if it wasn't an anaphylactic reaction, it's probably not a contraindication. Okay. Well, we've got a, quite a few uh, other questions, but there were, uh, let's do them justice um, and stick, wait till uh, after uh, nine o'clock this morning. We're also going to be joined by Dr. Uh, Alvin Chan from the Hong Kong Medical uh, Association. You're listening to Back Chat this morning with Mike Rouse and, and me, Hugh Chiverton. Uh, once again, our number two three three eight eight two six six. Email backchat at rthk dot hk. And thanks very much to uh, Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong, epidemiologist, and Dr. Sarah Bullwine as well, Canadian physician. The weather mainly cloudy today, warm, sunny periods, and temperatures up to about twenty five degrees. The outlook warm during the day and sunny periods tomorrow. 21 degrees now, humidity 83%. Anti-energy, anti-women and anti-science. In just one short month, we have gone from America first to America last. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chats on a Monday morning. We're talking about uh, COVID. That's uh, Mike Rouse and myself, Hugh Chiverton. Uh, we're joined now by Dr. Alvin Chan, co-chairman of the Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases uh, at the Hong Kong Medical Association. If you've got a question for uh, Dr. Chan, then uh, email backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266. We'll put your question. You can air your views, your, your take uh, on uh, what's happening. We've got quite a lot of uh, uh, questions uh, from listeners uh this morning um uh, here's an observation from jim uh who says uh you see here my 48 year old international certificate of vaccination which i first used in 1973 i still maintain my booster regime uh, as suggested by my healthcare providers this pandemic is serious but not new to the international communities a similar simple card already in existence is what the sar government should offer to international travelers this card was used for recurring diseases and most are now eradicated that's from jim Interesting observation. Thank you very much indeed for that, uh, Jim. 
uh, Herman says it's a pity that the government's COVID vaccination plans do not allow include a transportation allowance. How would someone like Lester Shum, who apparently has only 60 cents in his bank account, be able to afford to travel to a vaccination centre unless he has already applied for CSSA from the Hong Kong government he hates so much? That's from Herman. Uh, okay, uh, Elango says, uh, hello everyone, good morning. I expect the uh, vaccines would be available to young, healthy adults like us in our early 30s in July or August. What about for toddlers? My little one turning two in August, so I'm hoping a vaccine would be available for him before Christmas so we can travel safely. I would like the experts to provide more insight on the timeline for toddlers when vaccines would be available. I see many trials already started for children, but not as young as two. That's from uh, Alango. Dr Chan, good morning to you. Yes, good morning. Thanks so much indeed for joining us. Do you know what's happening with, um, like, uh, two-year-olds? Or, uh, have they been doing trials in other places? And, you know, uh, how would that work? Um, uh, and when we might we see vaccinations for, for two-year-olds in Hong Kong? Yes, definitely. Uh, the researchers are now uh, in place in... Uh, um, many of those uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, at least uh, I know that the, the uh, say even the uh, mRNA uh, vaccines, uh, they are now having uh, new researches uh, going on, testing against the efficiency in the uh, younger than 16 years of age. And uh, of course, um, the fact that um, I think uh, the researchers, uh, first of all, uh, would take time to get the results from their tests. And uh, secondly, I, I think the, uh, because of the safety profile, etc., it's even more important for um, youngsters. I think uh, we have to be patient. Uh, on the other hand, um, I think most of the governments would allow young people to um, say uh, to be um, exempted from the rules of say wearing masks, etc. Uh, uh, that's already um, existing measures to allow uh, young people not to. Uh, I mean, young ones less than six years of age not to wear masks. And of course, uh, if we allow these children to go with adults to go abroad in the future with vaccine passports, uh, that's another consideration. Um, uh, because uh, in many researches still, uh, young people had much less severe uh, disease with much less symptoms, even when they have um, uh, confirmed to have uh, COVID-19. And in Hong Kong, it's, it is particularly so. In foreign places, as a uh, ethnicity, they demonstrate some serious uh, multi-system hyperinflammatory uh, syndrome, uh, infection syndrome. But in Hong Kong, we don't see such manifestation. Um, uh, thank God, and uh, that is one thing that we are more happy about. But of course, across border, if you want the children to go abroad. It depends on the governments of different nations whether they will allow people uh, 
overseas to enter their nation. I, I guess we don't uh, we don't really know that. But but in general, is it safe for children to have the vaccine uh, to have these vaccinations? Depends on the research results. Okay. We don't have the research. We don't have the results yet. yet. Okay. Not yet. Okay. Yeah. Do you know in places where they they've had a lot of vaccinations, places like Israel, are they are they doing children or are they doing young children, no, like two year olds? They just have uh, vaccines for those over sixteen years of age. Under sixteen, uh-huh. uh, a third of their population is under sixteen. Uh, they are not vaccinated. They're not and vaccinated. They have to wait. For, they are not not vaccinated, and they have to wait for the research results. Okay, and you're a paediatrician, aren't you? So this is yes. <laughs> this is your area of interest as well. Okay. Exactly. I hope that uh, that helps, uh, uh, Alango. Uh, Mike in an email says WebMD states that flu vaccine is as low as ten percent effective, as high as fifty percent effective. Please keep it real. Your lady doctor quote seventy percent effective is stretching. Um, she, uh, in fairness, she said that was the best. It could be 30 to 70, she said. OK. Uh, Bob says, uh, being over 60, I will in a few moments be logging on, well, that was 10 minutes ago, uh, and trying to make an appointment, hopefully successfully. So my question is, if indeed I do receive the vaccine in the next few weeks, but then if I happen to be in the same restaurant or public area as one of these new clusters, presumably the vaccine will protect me against infection. But has anything been said by the government as to whether those who have been vaccinated will no longer be required to go through the local testing, stroke quarantining, if they've been exposed to one of those situations? I don't recall hearing any such policies being announced. That's from Bob. Uh, uh, am I right, Dr. Chan? They, they haven't announced... Uh, it doesn't make any effect difference to testing or quarantining procedures at the moment if you've had the vaccination, does it? Uh, no, hmm. there has not been announcement. In fact, we all know that uh, even for um, BioNTech, BioNTech uh, uh, efficiency rates of uh, over 95%. Still, there is a 5% uh, that is not really um, efficient. So uh, I think it's not 100% proof. Uh, but, and even for Sinovac, it's even uh, not so satisfactory. Um, uh, it's average 50.4% uh, for all, although they have 100% protection against serious uh, manifestation. But then uh, that is there's still a high chance of uh, getting asymptomatic infection. And so uh, I think it could not replace testing and quarantining. All right. Our number is 233-88266. We've got a caller on the line now. James. James, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Here. Um, we were talking at rugby yesterday about uh, we've got a couple of players overseas, uh, actually in England. So, uh, we're thinking that, you know, they might have grey hair and grey beards by the time they get back here. But uh, a couple of questions came up. Uh, I, I failed to find anywhere... Uh, where it shows the effectiveness of a three-week quarantine. I mean, these people have to have a COVID test before they get on the plane. They get COVID tested when they land. Then they go into a hotel, get COVID tested after so many days. And they're now extended back to three, three weeks. And there's no data which shows the effectiveness of the three-week quarantine. And also how many people have tested positive during the two-week quarantine. Um, I, think so that's, I think you're correct. I, I don't think anyone's issued any data to justify uh, the three weeks. Exactly. I, I, the, I think the we're the longest, just about the longest of anywhere in the world. Exactly. And the, the next point was, uh, 
basically, look, when when you, um, if you if you got vaccinated in the UK already and have both doses, uh, and why should you have to spend three weeks in a hotel here when you're basically, you should be carrying a, a COVID passport or whatever they're going to issue from a, a recognised country? And, you know, the effectiveness of this um, these vaccines uh, seem to be very good. So... Well, that's a very good question. Uh, uh, Dr. Chan, any, any thoughts on that? I mean, I think that it was extended, wasn't it, because people were, were concerned about new variants. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And also because uh, for tests, uh, they are, are uh, laboratory tests, right? I fully understand your feeling uh, because before you brought on the plane, you already had a negative test result and then coming to Hong Kong in the airport, you already had another negative result, but still you have to stay 21 days in the quarantine hotel. I understand uh, you're quite frustrated. Um, however, um, that is um, uh, the measure by the government to protect the citizens to the extreme that there won't be the exceptional cases that uh, say uh, that, that would occur, say, for example, uh, the, the test before boarding, uh, before going to the airplane, was net negative because uh, the, um, the uh, uh, passengers still in the very early stage of incubation period that the amount of virus in the body is so low that it's not detectable. That could occur. And that's why they have such a measure to guarantee that there won't be exceptional cases of such but, very but early Dr. cases. Dr. Chan, that beginning. applies to other countries as well. It, exactly. I understand. Yeah. Well, but these are only statistical uh, figures. That is, uh, for the longest period of um, incubation period, it could be longer than 14 days. Now, in average, everybody would say that the incubation period probably would last for 14 days for the incubation period. But this still is a statistical figure. The range could be longer. Say, Zhongnan uh, San, that Chinese professor, had once a study that showed his, long, uh, his case of the longest incubation period reached up to 42 days. That's an <laughs> exceptional case, right? So the Hong Kong government, bear in mind of such exceptions, they would think that a few out of 10,000 could have a longer incubation period, for example. And that's why they would extend it to 21 days after, I remember, after a case or two that they have found that uh, the incoming passenger had been found twice negative, And then the third time became positive and is a variant, as you just had mentioned. Perhaps that experience had uh, really triggered them to extend this period to 21 days. And, uh, of course, we can express our uh, objection even to the government. But then I think they would have uh, decided, uh, gazetted, and uh, people have to follow, uh, I think. And they said uh, this is based on the advice of the scientific committee, uh, which is formed of uh, experts in infectious diseases, specialists, and also epidemiologists. 
and uh, for the sake of the good of the whole society. And that's why I think uh, we still have to follow the rules. James? Well, I think uh, uh, I'd like to see some scientific evidence. And it's a perfect uh, example now where the Hong Kong scientific uh, community can go out and do tests and ask those questions. How many people have tested positive while they're still in the hotel? How many people have tested positive during the three-week period? If so, when? I mean, all this data needs publishing. Also, another fact is they're saying, oh, well, yesterday we had 22 cases in Hong Kong. Well, that should be upgraded. It should be upgraded like a typhoon. Is it, is it uh, Typhoon 1? Is it Typhoon 3? Is it, is it Typhoon 8? What level? Are they asymptomatic cases or are they serious cases and admitted to hospital? That data should be published. Okay. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. In fact, the uh, scientific community, they should have been uh, doing some researches. There are so many data already because each um, individual in the quarantine hotel had been tested multiple times and uh, the results of such uh, testing and different intervals, uh, they, they should be um, transparent, I, I think. I agree with you. Okay, James. And then, the problem now is these people are going to get COVID-itis, which is sick and, sick and uh, tired of being tested for covid Okay. All right, James, thanks, thanks so much for your call. Uh, 233 uh, is the number. Uh, and we've got Mike on the line next. I think, Mike, good morning to you. I'll give you the statistics that I get from my sons in the emergency room, one in New York and one in L.A. If you're an asymptomatic uh, person that has the virus in you and you've been tested negative, uh, if you have contact, you will become 90 something like 92%, 93% of the people will become symptomatic within three to five days. And then another one to 2% within the first two weeks. And then another 1% within the third week. Uh, I think that we all know that the, uh, the, the uh, quarantine is not for the benefit of the people. It's for the benefit of the hotels. Since the quarantine, the hotels that are that are, uh, are that you quarantine uh, that have been accepted as quarantine hotels, their business has gone from twenty percent capacity up to seventy percent capacity. So I think this is <clears throat> more of uh, the government helping out their uh, their friends in the in the uh, <clears throat> hotel business than it is for really helping the people. All right, Mike. All right. What's the comment? Any comment from your from your uh, doctor? Chan? Yes. Um, well, I cannot guess whether uh, your suggestion is really in the mind of the government officials. We cannot read their mind. But then, but I'm talking course, about the the statistics as far as COVID and quarantine. Well, I we have not yet got the. Um, data reviewed by the uh, scientific communities that have been doing researches on the data of those oh, there people is in, in the United hotels. States. There well, is in the United in a, States. In different places, there could be um, different... <laughs> uh, it, it could not be directly uh, extrapolated to Hong Kong. But then I would like to stress one point. Is, say, for example, what you have been mentioned is, uh, in fact, one asymptomatic uh, patient without symptoms, he could spread to many 
other people, and some of them who got the infection might become very serious. And that is a fact. Say, for example, even this time in the K11 museum, the cleaner, the cleaner had been um, um, found to be positive, not related to the uh, cluster of 33 in the Mr. Ming's restaurant. And uh, this cleaner could spread to many other people. And even though the first super spreader could be quite asymptomatic or mild in the manifestation of his disease, those infected by this super spreader could have very serious uh, illness. And that's why I think even among the 33 uh, confirmed cases of the Ming's restaurant, there could be one or two who have been um, super spreader, in fact, not seriously uh, infected, and they, he could still walk around and still work, for example, and yet he's spreading the virus. And uh, so the same case could be those coming from overseas. These people could be asymptomatic, even though the test had been um, positive. So, so I think about, uh, we still have to be very careful. Spreaders? You talk about super spreaders. Uh, when you're talking about 3,000 patients a day in New York, compared to 30 or 40 or maybe 100 patients a day in Hong Kong, I mean, get realistic. Hong Kong, we have been spared, but we've also been we've also been crippled by what the government's done. We've been spared from COVID, but we've been crippled by government. Okay. Mike, so at least we don't have so many people dying from COVID-19 like those in New York and L.A. There has to be a balance. After them. There has to be a balance. We've had 190 course, people yes, in, in one year. 190 people in Hong Kong have died from COVID in one year. And that's that's a day total in other countries. Well, we don't yeah, want to follow them, my God. Yeah, oh, the, the argument that, is, Mike, that we've had so few because we've had those measures. I know, but how many people have jumped out of the building? How many people have lost their jobs? <laughs> how many people have lost their lives as far as financially because of the uh, uh, measures that sure. the government is put on. Okay. Mike, thanks very much indeed for your call. As ever, 233-88266. We've got uh, Jim, I think, on the line now. Another Jim. We've got a lot of Jims. <laughs> Jim H, I think. Good morning. Good morning. What's your question or your comment? My comment is, uh, I came into Hong Kong on the 22nd of December from the US. I was given a quarantine order for 14 days. And at the end of that 14 days, I was advised that I was to quarantine seven additional days at home because of the uh, UK variant. I had not been in the UK. However, how do I know that I hadn't passed somebody or had come in contact uh, unknowingly with that virus? So it, it's reasonable. Why would anybody object? Sorry, the the line quality is is not. It, it, after not, his fourteen days, he was asked to quarantine at home for another seven. Can you can you say that again, Jim? Sorry, so so after. Yeah, that, that, that's correct. Yeah. 
And he thought and that's reasonable. I do, because it was because of the uh, UK variant. The UK variant. The US. I'd already done my 14 days for the US. But the UK variant, the quarantine additionally, um, for seven more days. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. So you're supporting that? You think it makes sense to have the, to have the three weeks? Because how do you know that you haven't contacted someone with that UK variant? Hmm. Yeah. So okay. they have to be sure. You know, I, I, I do support that. Okay, all right. Jim, uh, take, take your point. Thank you very much indeed for that. Backchat at rthk.hk, email. Uh, or you can uh, call us, 233-88266. Uh, Colin says the website has just reopened for further bookings. The current waiting time is uh, 20 minutes. That was just after uh, 9 o'clock. Um, John says, why vaccine? What about a strong immune system? Herd immunity achieved in a natural way. Uh, why not? Uh, John says, this is crazy. The mortality on children from 0 to 6 for COVID is zero. The mortality from 6 to 20 is zero. Why, why, why do we need it? You guys are crazy. Um, that's from uh, John, who I think is saying that we don't need uh, vaccination for young children. Uh, Dr. Chan? Well, exactly. We are not giving vaccines to the young children now. And, uh, well, uh, having said that, in Israel, they found that there's emergence of serious cases in their children, uh, while um, the majority, I mean, half of their adult population have been vaccinated already and demonstrated to have very good protection. The uh, proportion of uh, um, serious uh, COVID-19 illness in the younger population now has seemed to uh, uh, raise eyebrows of the scientists and the doctors that previously there are not so many serious cases in the young population that the children now there are more serious cases right. like those that I have mentioned the uh, multi-system hyperinflammatory uh, disease uh, syndrome and so they are concerned now and they want to uh, uh, hurry up and uh, get a turbo on the uh, research in the children's population's vaccination. Right. But not yet. All right. Not yet. Some more comments. Uh, Mr. Pink says, regarding uh, uh, Ben Cowling's comments on your show this morning, I hadn't realised that the Sinovac vaccine isn't being recommended in China for elderly folk. Unless I'm mistaken, the Hong Kong government has conveyed this crucial information to the Hong Kong public, which is both worrying and quite shocking. Um, Roy says, I am taking an immune suppressant, uh, azathioprine, uh, 75 milligrams a day to control colitis, which is doing very successfully. I have no symptoms. I'm 76 and in good health. I'm planning to take the BioNTech vaccine. Is taking azathioprine a contraindication? That's from Roy. Specific question there. Dr. Chan, do you know? Well, uh, that's not a contraindication. He had... What kind of colitis? Ulcerative colitis? Just says to uh, control colitis. I don't uh, know. Colitis. Well, if it is not an autoimmune disease, just colitis, uh, might not be a very serious one. But perhaps he's talking about an autoimmune disease, that is ulcerative colitis, uh, which would uh, require uh, immunoregulation, immunomodulation. Well, I guess so, because he says he's taking an immune suppressant. Exactly. So in those cases, for uh, mRNA vaccines like uh, 
the beyond tag is not contraindicated. No, no, you okay. can still get the vaccine, uh, but I'm not sure for the uh, final fact uh, okay. because uh, according to the uh, audience that has just called in, uh, 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 Professor Ben Cowling had uh, really had uh, said emphasized that if we are going to uh, achieve the herd immunity and for the protection of the elderly, of course, uh, we have to uh, get vaccinated with uh, BioNTech with 95% efficiency rate, but not those with uh, low efficiency rate. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, quite strange, as he said, uh, uh, it's not, uh, uh, the, the, the research data for Sinovac is only for those less than 59 years of age. Uh, but in Hong Kong, the scientific committee had said that, that the Hong Kong elderly could could get vaccinated uh, with uh, Corona effect, but they they didn't say that is uh, uh, where, where the data come from. I don't mm. know. All right. Uh, June asks, when will BioNTech start booking, please? Uh, thank you. I think that's later this week is what the, is what the administration says. Uh, Magnus says, the fast continues, deja vu all over again. The R number is up beyond 1.3 as the latest, latest data. So the transmission rate has more than doubled in the space of 10 days. And we now very likely have yet another wave baked in the cake. The Hong Kong government state that we have zero COVID policy, but they've never provided us with a set of measures that would deliver us that goal. We can only hope that the vaccine rollout is much faster than anticipated. Over the past year, our government has consistently shown it to be unable to effectively deal with COVID. Whilst hopefully the vaccine can deliver us from our hapless administration, it will take months at best. In the meantime, we could very quickly move to a genuine zero COVID and therefore a largely normal life within weeks if the government finally took some simple and comprehensive measures. Our current approach is Magnus. That's uh, from uh, Magnus. Uh, John says, I've been writing to the government over and over again, but no answer. Number of passengers coming in from the airport from June to December. Number of passengers found positive after the 12 days home quarantine. They never answered. But they decided to go 21 days in a hotel. I agree with Mike, helping again the rich families who owns the hotel. Uh, Mike also says the quarantine in Hong Kong is not for reduction of COVID. It's for the boosting of the hotel business. Uh, TC says, good morning from Macau. Mike mentioned hotels. We're getting the benefit of business as a quarantine hotel. Have all about the short to medium term image. I know from Macau that when considering staycations, staying at a hotel that's been used for quarantine are not of interest. That's uh, from uh, TC. Uh, uh, and uh, thanks very much indeed to. Uh, hang on, there's one more. This is from. Uh, Rick. Just, yeah, go on. Can I just say mm. one, one sentence? Uh, I think the success of the vaccination depends on the vaccine coverage, and that is more of Hong Kong population get uh, vaccinated sooner. But then now that many doctors have been excluded from the list of doctors to help vaccination. Initially, they thought there could be 2,000 and then 1,500. Now they only have 1,000 doctors. As far as I know, many doctors said that they were kept from this role of vaccinating the public because they could not register into the eligible list of vaccinating what, doctors. Why not? What was the problem? Uh, because, because of the uh, jamming of the facts that they should fax the application form to enroll as a doctor that vaccinates. Now, now, many doctors have complained to us that uh, they could not enroll as a, a doctor to vaccinate people because their application form was jammed in the process. And then after the deadline, the Bureau had not any um, measures to 
to uh, absorb these uh, doctors who failed to uh, enroll before the deadline because of jamming of the facts. So I think that is something the government must solve because if we want the vaccine coverage to improve, then uh, we cannot have too few doctors who could vaccinate. Okay, that's interesting. I don't want it to be hijacked by fax machines. Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, just Even to, by email. All right, let's just finish off with, a, with with the comments. Um, uh, Rick says, this incompetent administration hasn't even got the two-week data, never mind the three. Utter madness. They're both congratulating themselves once they've bankrupted the city. That's from uh, Rick. Uh, so uh, thank you very much indeed for, for uh, joining us, uh, Dr. Chan. Uh, just a, a few emails on, on other subjects. Uh, John says, John M says, I see Rita Fan quoted in the press are speaking from Shenzhen. She and other pillars of the communist establishment were summoned to meet with the visiting Mandarin from Beijing. How do these leading lights manage to cross the border with such ease in both directions? Is this cross-border travel ease available to ordinary Hong Kongers? Uh, and uh, Matthew says, an interesting discussion today, but unfortunately, once again, the back chat topic of the day is behind the news. Of course, the most important topic today is obviously yesterday's charging without bail of almost every leading pro-democracy figure of the current generation. I understand there is some planning that goes into the programme, but if it's to stay relevant, it's probably important to find a way to pivot to discuss the most important topics of the moment, even if they break after the schedule is set and are sensitive to discuss. Perhaps in a case like this, covering yesterday's detentions in the second half of the programme, rather than yesterday another hour on the virus. One positive out of Hong Kong's rapid descent into our new dystopian reality is that at least now the CCP has clearly and undeniably demonstrated its true nature and intent towards Hong Kong and the world under the Xi Jinping new era. They and their self-interested patriotic cheerleaders like Rita Fan, Tam Yu Chung and friends can no longer pretend. That's from Matthew. And finally, Emrys on uh, the discussion last week with the financial secretary he says a particularly bland budget from a particularly bland FS who epitomises the government disconnect with the core issues endemic in society. Inequality, housing, political injustice. Presumably, despite endless bleating about the fiscal deficit, Mr Chan will be gushing in his support of the party's line on creating an unnecessary artificial island which will cripple our finite resources. With the latest political arrests, one may legitimately ask who is standing up for the people of Hong Kong. That's from Emirates. Thank you very much indeed for that. Mike, thank you very much indeed. Every week we learn more. And I still don't think we're wise. <laughs> That's life. Uh, the weather, mainly cloudy, warm with sunny periods, 21 degrees now, humidity is at 80%. I am the little grape, and I'm here to alert citizens to scams. When you shop online, stay alert to scams. When you date online, stay alert to scams. And when you receive calls,